Morning, everybody. Uh, contrary to usual practice, I'm going to use this. Seeing we're here. Her. Hope you all slept well, because that'll um, make up for me being up from, what was it? 1.46. <laughs> Mostly in prayer the rest of the night. This thing doesn't fit. I'll have to use that one. Is that all right? Is this one? Who's got the machine? And um, David, come and take this, would you? I'll just use that. trying to do. No, 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 no. Down, 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 down. No, no. Down more. That's it. Right there. Right. So, Jared, you keep yourself lined up with that pole so people on this side can see me. I don't know who decided to put a pole in the middle of the centre aisle. You know what it is? The, the centre aisle got fabricated after the... <laughs> after the. Okay. Uh, this, this question has arisen in that a few weeks ago in the week of listening prayer, numbers of people heard the Lord say, apparently because I wasn't there, I was off on missionary journeys, a number of people heard the Lord say that we were to get in the river. And uh, that's been talked about ever since in one way or another, but it raises questions. And one of the questions is, what is the river? And if you're supposed to get into it, how are you supposed to get in? Now, in consideration of this, uh, it, it, there are other questions it leads to. And in particular, though, in your own prayers, you should be asking yourself and asking the Lord, what would it mean for me to get in? Or, or to be in it, what would it mean for me to be in the river? And what would it mean, or what would it take for me to stay in the river? But first of all, this question of, of what is that river? Now, in modern times, that is in this Pentecostal period, this business, uh, this phrase, this expression of, you know, get in the river or, you know, be in the river, has been equated with moving in the spirit. In other words, not just being a conservative Christian, but being ecstatic in worship and being, you know, lost in wonder, love and praise and, and moving in the gifts of the Spirit and in meetings, you know, being conscious of the Holy Spirit. And um, so basically the whole idea of moving in the Spirit, prophesying and getting words of knowledge and healings and so, so in the flow of the Spirit's power, but also being aware of the Spirit, sensing His presence, you know, hearing His Word. In other words, very much Holy Spirit activity going on, especially signs and wonders, and especially the, the corporate worship of the church, all of this was regarded as being in the river. But the question we ask is, when the Bible talks about the river, is it talking about that, or is it talking about something else? Is there something bigger here? And so that's the question I pose. And for, for a background, we, we're gonna consider a few scriptures. You, you would be surprised how often the river analogy comes up in the Bible. And the Bible begins with it and ends with it and the prophets talk about it and Jesus talked about it. And we don't have time to study all the passages, but I want you to know what they are. Now, last night, David read from Psalm 46 and there's one really telling verse that I have always loved. 
and it's smack in the middle where it says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And the mental picture I've always had was of a, a river that flowed but then broke up into stream. Now most rivers, little streams come in to feed a bigger river and ends up the big river. I've always had a mental picture of this starting off as a, as a single river but spreading out and putting streams out all over the place. And there is a, strip, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's another scripture that talks about the villages of Judah being glad. This gives the idea of it spreading out. But then it says, of course, regarding the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, but the city of God is the church. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the church on earth as well as in heaven. This is us here today. We are the city of God and that there is this river that makes us glad as a people. Now, what's interesting about this psalm is that this statement is put in between a whole lot of trouble going on in the world and a whole lot of tumult. So, for example, the first verse starts off, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's the emphasis of the psalm. It goes on to say, well, not fear, even if the earth gives way. And even if the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, so this is pretty, now just remember, this is, a lot of this is um, figurative language. So mountains being thrown into the sea, this has to do with national upheavals and all kinds of things. Though its waters roar and foam, the sea, by the way, in the Bible is the symbol of the Gentile world. So if its waters roar and foam, this is the unrest of the peoples. A whole lot of civil strife going on, warfare. So though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So this would say, oh, this is something much bigger than simply being in the spirit in a prayer meeting or, or you know, getting a healing or a prophecy, something much, much bigger. Uh, and, the, and the psalm goes on, God is in the midst of her, shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So, I mean, full of metaphor, this particular psalm. And you get down to the end of it, it, it started off, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, and it ends by saying, be still and know that I am God. So this, this river has a great deal to do with the stability of our lives, our, our own being carried forward in the purpose of God, our personal peace and protection, and so on and so forth. Okay. Now, with respect to, um, that just disappeared off the screen. Let's go back here. There's, how very strange is that? Hmm. Well, now I don't even know where all that was. Totally disappeared here. And the shame there is that I had the list of these scriptures. Give me a minute, we'll find it. Where did I last preach? It's probably in that file. <laughs> where did I last preach? You know that trick where you get all your screens up? Go ahead. It's not that trick. Oh. No, 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 it was in the thing itself oh, that it, that it shut down on me, see? And it's an in-app problem. In-app problem. <laughs> anyway, just talk amongst yourselves for a moment, you know, and uh, while I track this down, where was I last? Um, I'm trying to go to the travel diary. Hey, so where did I last preach? Adelaide, have a look in there. No, it can't be there. Go back to peace. 
If, if I've lost all of this, no problem. I'll get busy with explaining what I know. Here it is. Is it? No. No. I've got lots of other good messages here. <laughs> would, you, would you like one on... Um, on this temporal life. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to have to go by memory. So, this, this range of scriptures, I said the Bible begins and ends with it. The one at the end is Revelation 22, where John describes the city of God. Remember, that's us. And he says that, now, now this is a particular, particularly important phrase. He says that coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. So it's not two thrones. It's one throne. And this, of course, also is called the throne of grace and all the rest. This city, by the way, has no temple in it. God is in the midst. God is our temple. And this river flows from that throne. But notice it's the throne of God and of Christ, which means uh, the work of Christ is vitally connected with this river and, and our approach to God. This river that comes out from that throne and flows through the city and then flows out, has the tree of life growing on both sides, on both banks, and it produces fruit every month of the year. Now, producing fruit every month of the year, this is an interesting analogy because I have mango trees, and when the harvest is on, you can pick fresh mangoes every day for a month or five or six weeks. And so, um, here you've got a tree, though, that keeps producing a fresh harvest. And, of course, it's a harvest of life. You know, this is, this is the tree of life. And in another analogy, of course, it's Christ again. But that, that picture at the end of the Bible says that this river flows out to the nation. So we're not talking heaven now. We're not talking eternity. We're talking on earth, in time. It flows to the nations. And the leaves of, those, of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Kings will bring their glory into this city. It, it's actually a, an idealized picture of the work of Christ through the church in the world. So this, this wonderful river flowing from the throne of God, we're all part of it. It flows to us. It flows out to all of mankind. When you go back to the beginning of the Bible, what you find there is, is the beginning of this, uh, this massive picture that's in Scripture. We're told that in, the, that in the earth in those days, in the Garden of Eden... There was a river, a mighty river that flowed that then split into four rivers. And the four rivers are named. And interesting thing about the names of the river is you can also draw analogy from them with respect to the Christian life. One of them is the meaning of the name of the river is fruitfulness. That kind of thing is there. And um, so the Bible begins with this picture of, of paradise that has a river flowing and again, it divides out into more rivers and waters the earth. And so the, the end of the scripture brings us back to this picture of paradise, except in its final form, we see the church, we see Christ and all that the riches of grace and of God mean. Now in between these two pictures, beginning and end of the scripture, you get all these other, other uh, references to it. For example, when Israel comes out of Egypt and they get in the desert and they've got no water and they've gone three days now without water, it's pretty hard to do, right? 
but uh, they, the Lord was obviously waiting for them to ask nicely, you know. <laughs> In the end, he gives instruction to Moses who strikes the rock and out comes enough water that you've got a river coming out of the rock. I mean, you can't produce enough water for two million people plus all their herds and flocks and herds and things without having a massive amount of water come out of this rock. The rock is the picture of Christ struck. So, you know, uh, you know Christ was struck for our sins. And, you know, Christ is the rock of ages. So Moses strikes the rock, out comes the water. The Bible is full of these analogies. Uh, there's more in the Psalms. Uh, they come up in, um, is it Micah the prophet or is it Amos? They come up in Zechariah. And I can't read them to you now, I was going to, but each of these says very interesting things about this river, but it continues this theme that something is, it flows to the church from the Lord through us all and out into the world. And obviously this, this gives a much bigger picture to the idea of being in the river than only the gifts of the Spirit or moving in the Spirit. But you still have to ask, which one of these was the Lord referring to? because both are valid. Both these meanings are actually valid, but one is a part of the whole. And you have to say, well, if the Lord in prayer times to the church was saying, get in the river, was he talking more about the big picture or was he talking more about the, the focused, you know, get moving in the things of the spirit picture? And we'll discuss that in a moment. Jesus also dealt with this matter. For example, in John chapter four, he gets to this Samaritan village and he sends the disciples into town to get food. And meanwhile, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water and he says to her, would you... where he was going, so he says, oh, I'll call your husband. <laughs> so what's he doing here? She, well, she says, oh, I don't have a husband. He says, no, I know, and you've had, f what was it, five husbands, but the fellow you've got now is not your husband. What was he doing? He was bringing her to that essential place that every single one of us has to come to if we would really drink the water of life and if we would also flow in the things of the Spirit. And that is a proper recognition of our own sin, our own fault, our own failure, the, the, way, the ways that we've taken that were the wrong ways. Let, now, let me be honest about this to every single person today, especially all the young people, all the teenagers, you must come to grips with the fact that you have sin. There is sin in the heart. It, it has to be exposed to the Lord. It's not that he doesn't know all about it, You've got to be willing to open it and, and say, own it, basically, this, this is true. And this is all part of your humbling yourself. It's part of the confession and the repentance that is required, or you never really flow in that river. And so without 
without a recognition of sin, without your confession of sin, without, without every young person here today coming to the cross and emptying yourself, you can't be filled with these greater things that he has. And I remember when I went to the Solomon Islands in 1990 with Murray Rapp and Tony Elliott, we went to spend three weeks in the revival. And look, as a pastor and the church at home was moving in the spirit, you know, we were in the river, dreams and visions and people getting saved and baptized and people had been all been, it was only the year before virtually the whole church had got baptized in the spirit. And so I'm, I'm heading for revival, you know, I'm, I'm prayed up and I get there and uh, I'm eager, I'm looking forward to this, you know, three weeks in the presence of God. I get into the first meeting at 3.30 a.m., a prayer meeting, and they start to sing. And in this village, about 100 people gathered, and in fact, it was the whole village, you know, the, the mums and the little babies and the grandmas. And the only music there was the pastor hitting the old wooden table with his hand. And they started to sing, and here's me ready to go. And the moment they entered into the spirit, conviction of sin hit me hard. It's like the Spirit of God came on me and I, I went to the floor, my face in the, cr it was crushed coral floor, not a very comfy floor. And for 10 minutes or so, I'm emptying myself before the Lord, such deep conviction of sin. And I thought I was prayed up, but what was required was a, a deeper repentance, a, a, a much more current and fresh you know, um, confession of my sin and weakness in the presence of God so that I could enter into the spirit of that revival. And I'm saying this here for the sake of everybody today. Let me be, can I be blunt about it? I'd, I'd like to be rude about it to try and really get it to the heart. Unless you really empty your heart before the Lord, unless you're willing to come to God and say, I'm fleshly and I'm weak and I am sinful, I have an unclean heart, I have an unclean mind, I do this, I think that, Lord, forgive me, and I repent of it, and make a genuine effort to, to cast it upon his mercy and find the cleansing of the cross. Unless you do that, you cannot move anymore in the river or flow in the river. The Lord's wanting to give you more than you have, of both kinds. And yet this is a necessary step. Hand in hand with the humility we talked of yesterday, very essential. So, um, Jesus, moreover, not only said to this woman, you know, if you ask me, I'll give you living water, you'll never thirst again. Later on, in his public preaching, he had more to say about it, and uh, he spoke, he, he said, who believes in me? You, you'll all remember this. He said, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being. Now, it literally means out of all the chest and stomach cavity, out of, out of, out of your innermost guts. We would, we would tend to say out of your heart. But out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So in other words, this river that you're meant to be in is also meant to be flowing through you and out of you to a whole lot of other people. So he who believes in me, out of, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then it says in brackets, John puts it in brackets, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit who was yet to be given. 
The whole purpose of Pentecost, the whole, see, you, you, you come to Christ, you're born again, you're born into the kingdom, but there's always more. You need a real baptism of the Holy Spirit. We all do. And some people, there's no reason you can't come into the full baptism of the Spirit the same day you're converted. But a lot of us, it takes us more time to learn of these things and then exercise faith and seek God and get uh, the greater fullness. There's no reason if you've been baptized in the Spirit, you can't have a greater baptism in the Holy Spirit. The truth is we should always be seeking more of the Holy Spirit than we do, but it was the, this giving of the Holy Spirit to the church that made the difference that caused a real river to flow from the throne of God and of Christ through the holy city, that is through you, and then out to the nations. Now, when we read then in Revelation 22 of that river, we read it with all these other passages in mind, including, including a few I haven't described because I haven't got the list. But if we come back to the question, what is the river? And is it the, the big version to do with the, the stability and the richness of life? Or is it the, the focused version of moving in gifts and power and hearing the voice of God? The truth is, it is all of these things, but here's the catch. There, there, there is a bit of a catch. You, you will get what you believe for. You will get what you press into God for. And this is a truth that applies to any area of the Christian life. So if, for example, you find faith to believe God for a better job and and, and, you know, and, and for your lives to prosper and for you to do better financially, you can, that's all possible. And some people might have faith for that and do well, but have no faith for physical healing. Some people have faith for healing, but they've got no faith to pay the bills. But of course, I'm using there two practical things. It's not just the practical things that are the issues of life. It's all the hard issues of life, attitudes, and values, and relationships, and, and you know, how you get on with other people, and all that, you know, and, and whether you've dealt with offenses, whether, you, whether you're easily offended, all these things. And what happens is the areas in which you pray and have faith, you do better in, and areas that you don't think about, you'll stay weak in. And so you could be, you could be strong in some areas of the river of life, but weak in others. And so, so here's the rub. In, in, some, in some of these Pentecostal type circumstances, you know, where you get, say, say you get renewal meetings and the Spirit of God fall and people get glued to the floor or, you know, you know, people get slain in the Spirit or people are laughing or gold dust is appearing. Very often this has happened to people and they've been gloriously experiencing God, but their life never changes. Their heart doesn't change, their mind doesn't change, they stay in the same weaknesses and sins they had before. Why is that? Because they had faith to move in the spirit, but they never brought the rest of their life subject to Christ. So the greater effect of the river, they never got. And really, when you think about it, for, for people like that, all this outward moving in the spirit is actually quite shallow. But then you get other folks, more conservative view perhaps, that, that search the scriptures and they're rich in the word of God and they're strong in faith and they're very stable and they serve other people and they do a whole lot of good in the world but they're not aware of ever getting words of knowledge or prophecy or healing anybody. 
yet, yet they're great Christians and they lead people to Christ and they build hospitals and build schools. They're great Christians. No, they're in the river too, but they're in the river in this other sense. But as I said yesterday, being in or out of this grace has a great deal to do with the humility of the heart. So if you get somebody who is doing these, you know, these wonderful things, you know, um, you start a school, you start a church, you start, you know, a, a rehabilitation center. But if you're doing it out of, uh, you know, this is my ministry and you're, you're pushing hard and you're kind of a, a little bit full of yourself, you're not in the river at all, even though you're doing great things. Remember Jesus said in that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty things in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So the outward successes of one kind or the other don't pr really prove that you're in the river. So if we come down to it, what then is this river? If it can't be proven by the things you do outwardly, it can't be proven like, you yeah, have built a wonderful ministry, or I, I've served the poor, or I prophesy and heal. If it can't be proven by those things, in fact, if people can do those things, they're not even in the river, what is it to be in the river whether you do those things or not. And I think when you, when you come back to the real scriptures on it, what is it talking about? It's talking about life that comes from Jesus Christ and gives you a quality of life with respect to your heart, your mind, the way you walk with him, the way you love him, the way you love other people, your submission, your personal holiness, your surrender, and it, in other words, it has to do with a whole lot of internal things. And, and with that in place, you might flow in the river in one way or in another, but what's the ideal? I mean, the ideal is to be so rich in faith and so rich in understanding of the scriptures and so rich in spiritual experience that in fact, uh, both, both aspects of this, you know, what is the river outwardly are in you. In other words, you, your life is producing fruit and is very stable and you're really in the word of God. And on the other hand, you, you're also sensing the presence of God, you, you know, moving in the gifts, able to touch people with his power, prophesy and so on and so forth. Both are ideal. And, there, and therefore, one of the lessons of today to remember is that you've got to have faith for both sides of this thing. But the, the, the critical one is the stability of your life. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You know, nations are in uproar, but no, be still to know. This, this stability of your life, stability of your faith, your maturity as a person, you're standing no matter what. When things go wrong, no, you know who you are in Christ. You're in the Holy Spirit. And then add to that faith to prophesy or heal the sick and do all the other things. We, because, because the Bible says, forget not his benefits. So forget not all the things. Don't forget all the things he can do for you and you can exercise faith for, but the stability of your life with the real life of Christ flowing to you. Now, could I say, carrying on from first session yesterday morning, you cannot have this stable life if you don't read your Bible. It is not possible. Once upon a time, it might've been possible by the grace of God, because in times past, people didn't have a personal Bible. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a word they couldn't believe in those days. They'd hear the preaching of prophets. 
the preaching of the minister on Sunday, they'd sit under the Word of God, they'd have words to believe they were receiving the Word of God. But we've come to the stage where we've got resources with respect to the Scriptures that, that no one in history has ever had before. And if you'll make the simple use of it, you don't have to make the complicated use of it that David talked about yesterday. You don't, you don't necessarily have to go and search out 37 different meanings for the same word. What you do need to do is wash your soul with the things he says. And then if a word comes up and you think, oh, what does that really mean? Yeah, you can look at it, but, but don't try to go to second base and third base if you haven't daily just allowed the word to wash over you. Now, here's what Jesus said. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So the, his word, I remember once uh, I was in my first church, it was in Narrabri, I was the Salvation Army officer and it was 1976 and Hazel was in hospital for a whole week, had the first baby, so David had just been born, hmm? what? Oh, the next year, 77, all right, and they were the two years we were in Narrabri. Now that week she was in hospital, I was happy, I was at home keeping the place clean and I was prayerful, I was having good prayer times. But after six or seven days, I'm just feeling a bit dried out and just feeling like there's something out of order. I'm, I'm dry, I, even though I've been praying. And I asked the Lord. He told me straight out. It was because for that whole week, I hadn't sat and read the, just read the scriptures. I had not actually taken in the freshness that comes from reading the word of God. So let me be blunt with you. You really can't be fruitful. You really can't be all that uh, fulfilled. You certainly can't flow in the spirit adequately if you neglect the simple discipline of life of regular reading of the Word of God in some way. And don't take a legalistic attitude to it. Don't think, oh, I can do my duty. Rather take the attitude is I'm just going to sit for a few minutes and let the Word of God wash over my soul. So whether you read, read a paragraph and just sit and think about it, whether you read a whole chapter, uh, I mean, some people talk about reading five chapters a day, and let me tell you, they seem empowered. They, they just do. But it's hard to keep, it, keep that kind of thing up. But let words wash over you. Jesus is very clear about it because you want the river to flow. So anyway, we're now answering kind of one of our last questions. How, how do you stay in the river? Or how do you get in the river if you're not in it? And I'm saying that if you want the richness of Christ and the stability that this river flowing through you gives and the peace. If you want to hear the still small voice of God, if you want to know the will of God, if you want to find yourself in the will of God, then the washing of the word of God over you is a very, very important part of life. And then do the next really simple thing, just talk to God. If you don't know how to pray, just start talking to God because it'll grow all on its own. The Holy Spirit will help you. Now, I probably covered the subject enough for this morning, but I wanted to f close by saying there are five things I pray for. And it would be handy for anybody to remember these five things because each of the, to me, it seems to be like a composite picture of all the stuff you might want. And everyone, now, and I didn't plan this. I, 
I'm not a person that purposely alliterates things. It, it just popped in. But all five words start with the letter P. And uh, I don't know whether you'll remember this or not, but I can remind you later. But think about the scope of these words. What do we, what do we want from the Lord in family life, in the ministry, in the church, and so on and so forth? Here's what I pray for. And you can mix up the order. I, I pray for providence. What is providence? Providence to me is a better word than provision, even though it means exactly the same thing. Provision means God's supply to you. But when we talk providence, oh, it brings in this lovely sense of the divine nature of God providing everything supernaturally for you far beyond your ability to even understand what you need. Yes, providence, wonderful thing. But it does mean supply, provision. It'll mean jobs and finance and, you know, health and healing, answers to your prayer, but the providence of God. So I, I pray for providence. Power. There's, there's not one of us that doesn't need power. And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses you can't even be an effective witness for Jesus if you don't have power. And if you're in the ministry like I am and others, you, you want power when you preach. You want power so that the word of God goes deep into hearts. You want power so that it produces fruit in nations. Of course, you've got to pray for power. So peace, uh, sorry, peace is a third one. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. But coming out of the anointing of peace are all kinds of richness. In fact, it's peace that flows like a river very much in part of the, the river of God. So where are we up to now? We've had providence and power and peace. What's another one? Protection. You pray for protection. And so this, this is very much the prayers of Jesus, you know. Um, Lord, you know, keep us from the evil one and all that, forgive our sins. No, you want, and, and binding spirits, because coming out of this, like David's prayer list yesterday, coming out of it, once you start praying into it, once you start praying for protection, oh, out of it come all kinds of natural prayers. Once you start praying for providence, out of it come all kinds of natural prayers. So we've got one to go. Can we remember what they are so far? I'm going to try and remember myself. All right, we had, we had, we had, we had. We had providence, and we had peace, and we had power, and we had protection. The other one is presence. You, you want the, the presence of God. Because you want to walk with him. David, first off his list yesterday was communion with Christ. It, it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. And you'd end, up, you'd end up in the same place, you know, seeking the face of God. So I think these five Ps for me are always things you should, should always have faith for them. In other words, in my case, don't go and do meetings somewhere and you haven't had some kind of prayer to ask the Lord for these graces and so on and so forth. So... Peace, power, providence. See, I didn't put prosperity in there. People get, off, people get off on the wrong tangent when you say prosperity. They start loving the money instead of loving the Lord. So I, I put providence in. Peace and power and providence and protection and presence. It, it's not a bad overview. Somebody might think of another one, but that's, that's my list so far. <laughs> so anyway... Are you ready to repent of your sins? Um, if in summary, we could say, what is the river? 
it, it is the flow. You, you could say it's you, you could say it's a river of grace. You, you could say it's grace. You could say it's all of grace. But the thing about grace is it's actually grace is actually God's presence and God's approval and God's power giving you himself. So it's actually, the river is actually the flowing of the very life and nature and purpose of Christ to you. And in other words, you're in the will of God. You could almost imagine like the banks of this river are the will of God. So you're held in the will of God and you're flowing in a river of grace, but this grace is bringing to you all those peas, carrying you in them. But then you're going to start believing for the, the ability to hear his voice because it's already given to you. The ability to touch the lives of others, it's already given to you. Believe for the flow of his power, his presence, his peace, and so on and so forth. Because you're in grace. It's a river of grace. It's a river of his presence. It's the river of the moving of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, who wouldn't want to be in it? Who wouldn't want to be in that river? Bear in mind, please don't forget, Jesus said in that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not do mighty things in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? But I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So having the outward form of things doesn't prove that you're in the river. It has a great deal to do with the heart, your walk with the Lord, your surrender, your confessions, your daily confessions, you're seeking the face of God, walking in the Spirit. So, uh, I want to read one scripture passage in closing. And um, I shall look it up and uh, go to the Bible. This is a passage that doesn't mention the river at all but it is very much a passage that addresses what I just taught you. And I'm just going to go, go get it. I think it's here, somewhere here. Okay, I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 8, the chapter heading, Paul didn't write the heading, somebody else wrote the heading for him, Life in the Spirit, and here's the bit that I want to read. Now, listen carefully, it's only about four or five verses, and I was just talking to you about is not the outward form of success, it's the, it's the inner heart that is critical as to whether you are alive or dead. Being alive or dead is another Bible way of talking about whether you're in the river or not in the river. So listen now to it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. It cannot, and those who are in the flesh
cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. But anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And in another verse, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, and there's a capstone here for those flowing in the river. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Praise God. So, it just, Scripture is speaking in a different way about the same issue. It has to do with the heart, with your heart is set on the things of God, but a heart set on the things of God that clings to its own sins won't do the job. Confession, humility, repentance, emptying. The more you empty yourself, the more you can be filled with his goodness. Let's, let's go to prayer. And uh, here's an opportunity for each one. Just bring your heart to the living the living God, the holy God. Bring your heart just now. There's an opportunity just to humble yourself and empty yourself in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to pray that he would wash us as a people, cleanse us of our sins, and receive us all the more that he might pour his life into us. If the Lord has said, get into the river, I, I think it means the river in both kinds and that everyone is called to another, another degree, another level altogether of, of submission and searching for the Lord. Being ready to do the will of God. Confess your sins or, or at least bring your heart to Jesus and Father, I pray I pray for myself and for everybody here today and seek your grace. We seek forgiveness. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, our weakness and, and our flesh. We acknowledge sins and failures. So often we've not listened to you and we ought to have listened. And, and yet at the same time, you taught us all a long time ago to love you and to love your word. I thank you, Lord, we have been in grace and you've, you've cherished us as a people, but you brought us to this time of a greater cleansing, a greater submission. And I ask, O Lord, that you'd wash every heart here today by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Wash the hearts, wash the minds. Cleanse us, O Lord, of every mixed motive, of every unclean thought, of every impure thing, every dirty deed, any dishonesty, any double-mindedness, I ask, Lord, you'd forgive us. You'd cleanse each one. And now the, the presence of Jesus come, Holy Spirit, who brings the presence of God the Father and the Son, come and rest upon every one of these believers and fill them with peace. Lord, I receive your peace. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I place it upon every heart here today, upon every mind, I release to you the peace of the Lord Jesus. I ask the Lord today, by your power, cleanse every heart that you might fill every heart with the fullness of Christ. 
the fullness of love. Come Holy Spirit and possess us, possess this people, possess every family, possess every heart, fill them with the Holy Spirit. And with respect, Lord, to this great river of grace, the very life of Christ that flows, all that your word means to us, all that your spirit can bring to us. Lord, we open ourselves to you and ask for the riches of this grace to be poured into this community, into every home, into every heart. The riches of your grace, O Lord, be poured. We receive your spirit today. We receive your spirit in Jesus' name. Every one of you exercise this moment of faith to believe God, freshness, and anointing, his power and his provision. I ask, Lord, that graces would spring up in the lives of all these believers and the fullness of Jesus would come to be so evident in every home and every heart. And so I bless the people of peace and I thank you for them and commend them to your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, we can only do so much here, but I would encourage you in your prayers at home, seek to keep what John Wesley and others called the blessing of a clean heart. It was Luther who said, uh, you know, you've heard of the famous 90, uh, 95 theses na nailed on the door at Wittenberg and all that. But one of those was repentance is the daily act of every Christian. That's another way of saying, you know, day by day, keep your heart clean before the Lord. And, um, you know, pay your bills. If you, if you owe a debt, you come to the Lord in prayer, pay up, get it right. Don't be these, you know, don't be like the proverbial pig and the proverbial dog that the Bible speaks of where the dog goes back to its vomit and the pig goes back to wallowing in the mud. Repent of the thing in such a way that you intend to defeat it and give it up. Keep a clean heart. And then with that sense of a clean conscience, seek the Lord for more of his spirit and uh, keep yourself in the way of grace. Keep yourself in the will of God.